And uh, this morning, you might be wondering, you might be looking up here and you're like, hold on a second. Like, the worship guy, why is the worship guy behind the teachy table with that preachy mic? Like, why is he up here in this space? So here's the best way I can tell it to you this morning. The Denver Broncos had three quarterbacks on their roster during the season this year in the NFL. They had a week where at the end of the week, all three went down. They went out and they asked the NFL, can we add another quarterback to the roster to come in and play? And the NFL said no. And so what they had to do was they took a backup wide receiver and he played quarterback for the entire game. And so church this morning, you get the backup wide receiver playing quarterback. Is that, so, so that's where we're at. Yes. <laughs> we're going to be in John 4. Uh, and all kidding aside, I, I believe that God has a word for us this morning from John 4. Uh, we're going to read about 26 verses, and uh, I never cease to marvel at the fact that this, this is God speaking to us. This is his word. Like, this is him speaking directly to us. Verse 1 says this, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had, had, sorry, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, Ask, from a drink, or ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift that God had and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where did you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of, his, of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a, a, in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying that you have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus would you, would you give your voice this morning? Would you speak into our hearts this morning, Lord? You see the deepest places of us. You see so deep into our heart and soul, Lord. We, we long for your living water. 
Jesus, lend your voice by your Holy Spirit to speak to us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I think I'm getting some pops from this, so I'm gonna move to this. Check one, two, there we are, all right. So my son, uh, when he was younger, he had this Easter basket that was filled with plastic eggs, and he loved, he loved when we would hide it from around the house, even throughout the year, and he could go and search for it and look for it, but his favorite thing, his favorite thing that he could do is he got to hide the eggs sometimes, and then he would have us come and find them, and so he would take them all throughout the house, find the best places he could possibly do, and then he'd call for me, he'd be like, Dad, come on in, Dad, like, it's time to look, and so I'd go in with him, and I'd try to start to look, and he would, like, stop me, and he'd be like, Dad, have you seen the one in the drawer right here? There's the yellow one right here. And then he'd go over here and he'd be like, there's the purple one right up under here. And every single egg he would find, he would never let me look for it. We sort of love that game though, don't we? Like when someone hides something, we like to look for it, except for when it's our keys. Like when our keys are lost and we're like, they're lost again. You guys, this is a random thing, but you guys ever seen the infomercial where you, it's like the beeper thing where you can put it on your keychain and then it like searches for it? That's a random. Look for that if you lose your keys a lot. But it's fun to look for things. It's fun searching for them. And uh, my kids, they still love to play hide and go seek. It's something that they do all the time. Uh, and uh, when my son was first starting to learn, he would do that cute thing where he'd go into a room. He'd like go into our front room and he would cover up with the curtain, right? And you walk into the room and you see like his bright white socks poking out and you're like, oh, bud. Like, that's so cute. But I would still play the dad role. I would, like, call into Holland, and I'd be like, Holland, have you seen the kids? Like, I don't know where they're at, what great hiding spots. And my son, you know, he's so young and innocent, he would, he would be behind the curtain. He'd be like, Dad, I'm back here. Dad, like, I'm right here. And I'd be like, oh, buddy, you're sort of missing the point of the hide-and-seek game. You're supposed to hide, and then, like, I look for you, and, like, you stay hidden and quiet. But now it's sort of the other way around. Like, it's different now. So, like, when I go to hide now, I'll be, like, in his room up under this tiny little desk trying to hide, and my legs are sticking out, and he'll walk in, and he'll be like, Dad, are you, like, seriously, that's the best that you could do? Like, that's the best that you could hide? We love to play hide-and-go-seek, and I think even as adults, we love that game. But if you think about it, hide-and-seek's really a simple game. Like, there's not much to it. Somebody hides, and somebody what? Seeks. They look. And the key passage in our text today is verse 23. It says, God is seeking worshipers. What does it mean that God's seeking worshipers? Is it like this spiritual game of hide and seek where like we go hide somewhere and God's like looking through the bushes and he's like, I don't know where they're at. There's one, okay. Or maybe Caden, my son, would help him, you know, look for him. Is it sort of like that? Or uh, is it sort of like uh, this, uh, this cosmic uh, thing where we're like hiding someplace in the universe and like God just can't seem to find us because we have the best hiding spot ever? No, if we know anything about God, we know God knows everything. He sees into the heart of who we are. And in fact, in Jeremiah 17, 10, it says this. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Like this morning, right now, he sees into the depths of who we are. He sees into the deepest places. So we're sitting here in God's plain view. And in this game of hide and go seek, it can't possibly mean that he doesn't see us. So what does it mean when God is seeking worshipers? The point is, as human beings, our natural tendency is to hide from God. We cover over our heart. We run from him. We see this with the very first worshipers, Adam and Eve in Genesis. Okay, they have this, this unbelievable relationship with God. And so they're walking in the garden with God. They have such a closeness and a nearness. And then they sin and they break the relationship. And what's the first thing that they do? They hide. They cover up. They put fig leaves over themselves and hide from God. See, in a world of sin, our natural tendency is to hide from God. So the question I want us to consider this morning from John 4 is this. 
Am I hiding from God? Am I running from being a true worshiper? An authentic worshiper is one who is laid bare before God. And so I want to ask you three questions. When was the last time that you felt such a closeness to Jesus? When was the last time that you had this moment where you sensed his presence so clearly? When was the last time that, that you could say like, man, I love him. Like when I think of Jesus, I love him so much more than anything else. God is seeking honest worshipers, authentic and open worshipers, worshipers that are living spiritually naked before him. And unless we're willing to completely open before God, we're actually hiding some of our worship. Choosing to hide actually kills the intimacy with him. And it's true of all of us. It's true of those that don't know God and don't have that relationship. But it's also true of those that, uh, that have a living, thriving relationship with Jesus. We hide places of our hearts from him. And he's looking at us and saying, I want worshipers. I want people who are coming with the fullness of who they are. So I want to explore three different things this morning, that, uh, or three different ways that the Samaritan woman tries to hide from Christ in our story. And then I want to look at how Jesus actually engages each one, and then how this may apply to our relationship with God. The first is this, the Samaritan woman tries to hide by keeping God at a distance from her true inner life. See, the woman of Samaria in the Gospel of John, she's trying to keep her heart and her hidden life, like this inner life hidden from her. So Jesus tells her, go call your husband. It's an interesting question because if you read, truly read through the narrative and think through that, it feels like a really weird question. And she may have thought like, this stranger doesn't really need to know all the ins and outs of my life. Like he doesn't need to know my past. Like I'll just tell him, you know, where I am presently, but sort of cover, give a half truth, right? And so she looks at Jesus and she says, I, ha I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband because you've had five husbands and the man that you're with now is your boyfriend that you're living with. And you can imagine her inner life. She must have been so lonely and so in need of love that she runs from man to man to man to man, searching for somebody, like somebody fill the deepest place in my soul. And yet none of them could. And so she goes from one to the next and one to the next and just continues this cycle. And as Jesus brings the truth forward of her life, of her heart, it begins to sting. I mean, put yourself in her shoes. Like, how would you feel if all your darkest secrets, this stranger just like, just brings them right out. And they're sitting here on the stage this morning. She feels the sting of it. And so she does what any normal human probably would do. She hides. She covers up. We do the same thing. Many of us know the, the mess of our spiritual life right now. We have all these undealt with pains from our past and all these habitual sins that we just can't get out of. And we can't remember, we'd like, we don't even know what it was like to have that deep connection with God. We feel like our soul's been emptied and hollowed out and yet we still just run to busyness, don't we? Like we work long hours or maybe we go to like substance abuse just to like numb that pain that we feel so deep in here, right? Maybe you spend a ton of time on social media just to not have to think about it, not have to hear all of the noise that's happening inside of here. This is actually the Samaritan woman. All of her past sins, pains, they come right to the forefront. And it was easier for her to hide than to walk back into it. See, some of us, we stay busy because when the noise stops, we have to hear our heart. I think this is why the, the lockdown or the shutdown last year was so difficult. I think all of us have been running so hard. We've been running 100 miles an hour for years and years and years and years and years. And then everything stopped. 
And there we are sitting in our house in the quiet of that space, and we have to actually hear what's happening in our souls. All the other clutter is just cleared out, and we're stuck there listening to our hearts, and we don't like the sound of it. We don't like the sound at all. We get alone and we get in the quiet space and all the anxiety that we stuffed under busyness just sort of starts to bubble up to the top. Or we're, we're, we're so torn apart by fear and it's just lying there below the surface and then in the quiet moment, it's just like, just straight up. And Jesus is looking at us just like he looked at the Samaritan woman. He's looking at us with this compassion and he's saying, you can try to hide the sin, but I see it. You can try to cover up the wound, but I'm reaching and I'm just, I'm touching it. You can't hide it from me. I know, like Jesus knows. But I love when you read this and you truly look at how Jesus deals with her, he looked at her with such compassion. He had such love for her. He was just thinking, if you only knew, like we would get you somewhere where you can heal. If you only knew what I could give you. And so what he does is he goes right to her hiding place. He begins to tap right into her hiding place. And when he's alone with her, he brings right to the surface all of those things, and he says, let's deal with this today. Stop hiding. He's whispering to you this morning, stop hiding. He just wants to connect with your heart and help you heal. Stop running from him to busyness, numbing it with all these other things. Busyness does not lead to intimacy. Think about your relationship with people. If you didn't spend time with your spouse for a long, let's say five years, what do you think would happen? To that relationship. It would completely stretch. Busyness does not lead to intimacy. It's only in time together that that happens. And Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water, do you, do you know the water he's talking about? It's the water that we keep drinking from, numbing all of the pains and drinking. We do the same thing every day. Every day we go back to the same thing. It's like, I'm going to do this thing and I hope that today it actually fills up my soul, and then we drink it. It might fill it just a little bit, and then tomorrow morning we wake up and our soul is completely dried out again. And then we go to it again tomorrow. And then we go to it again tomorrow, hoping that one day something will actually fill up our soul. And Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water, you're gonna be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Our souls are parched and crack wells. We have to have the indwelling, refreshing water of the living Christ. So in January of last year, uh, 2020, I, uh, I woke up one morning and I felt the most completely and utterly despairing that I've ever felt. I woke up and I was in such deep emotional, physical, and spiritual exhaustion, I didn't even know what hit me and I, and I couldn't pinpoint why I felt that way. I had no idea why I felt that way. In fact, my wife would ask me sometimes or my friends would ask me like, well, what's the root of it? Like, why do you, I, we get that you feel that way, but what do you think is under it? And I'm like, I don't even know. See, for, for the previous five years, I'd run so hard. I, I loved ministry, and I'd poured myself into it, just, just giving myself away to it. And in that same time, we had had two kids moved into a house. And over that same course of time, on both of our sides of the family, we had had a number of deaths as well. And in that time, I just kept plowing through. I kept moving through. And I remember waking up in January of last year in 2020, and, and just feeling this despair and over the course of the year crying out to God and saying, I can't, I can't feel this way anymore. Like you have to do something. And there was a moment where I'm sitting alone with Christ and I felt like he just whispered it to me, like in my spirit, just saying, are you ready to deal with the hiding places? Are you ready to deal with the things that you've kept so far from me? 
So over the next few months, God began to show me the root of the despair. He began to deal with it. And he began to pinpoint uh, uh, some moments in my life where five years prior in my family, uh, we had lost two young people in a really, really short period of time. And uh, I remember how much it rocked my world, but I, what I did was I went right back to serving. I wanted to take care of the people that I loved the most, and there were so many people around me hurting, so I went into care mode, and I said, I'm gonna take care of them. And, and so as soon as that season was done, what I did is went right back to busyness. I poured myself into things, and I know I did it because I didn't wanna deal with what was happening in here. I jumped right back in. And last year, as God began to deal with the aftermath of that spiritual devastation, he began to take me back to the wound. He began to walk me back to the wound and the hiding place that I hadn't dealt with. And it was as if he just opened my soul. And I remember specifically, I was sitting with a, with a couple uh, of guys, and I remember specifically God pointing at the wound and saying, you've been angry at me. Like, I was floored. Like, I had no idea. I was so floored that I had been so angry at God, like, so mad at him because of what he had done. And I remember making a resolution around that time that if, God, if you're not going to take care of my family, I will. If you're not going to do your job, the job that I thought he should do, then I'll do it. And so I took on myself everything. I said, I'm going to control everything. I'm going to protect everyone. I'm going to guard everybody. I'm going to love everybody. Like, if you're not going to do it, I will do it. And I got angry at God. And I remember God touching that place and saying, you're angry. And so God walked me into my wound and began to process it. And here's the thing that was going on. I think this is so important. During that season, for about two years, I would wake up every day with a pounding headache and it felt like I had a fever. I would get chills throughout the day. My body felt like it was breaking down and I, would, I went to the doctor, I can't even count how many times for different tests and blood work. They found nothing. It was destroying my body, it was destroying my mind, it was destroying my heart, it was destroying my worship. And I felt like David in Psalm 32 where he writes, when I kept silent about his sins, about his hiding places, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up as by the summer heat. See, I would worship and I would pray and I would spend time with, with him, and, but I had placed this barrier in front of my intimacy with him. I kept God at a distance. I had done anything I could to numb the pain and so I stayed busy. And we stay busy, don't we? But it's in the alone times with God in the space of worship that he actually wants to heal you and free you to be an uninhibited worshiper. So what are you hiding from God? What are you hiding in your heart from God behind the busyness of life? God is seeking you this morning. He, see, he wants you to worship him in fullness. God is seeking worshipers. The second way that the Samaritan woman hid was behind religion. So as Jesus exposes her life, the Samaritan woman does what many of us would do. She changes the subject. I sort of think of this as like, you know, sometimes someone will meet a pastor, but they don't know they're a pastor. And they're like, they're, you know, they might be talking about their boss and like cussing up a storm. And then they like ask him, well, what do you do? Like, what do you do for a living? And they're like, uh, I'm a pastor. And he's like, praise Jesus, sir. I praise Jesus. You know, there's like the change. It's like, and that's sort of what she does. They're like having this conversation. And, and, and Jesus is like, um, you've had five husbands and you're living with a guy that isn't. And she's like, oh, okay. Jesus, thanks for bringing up my adulterous life. Um, what do you think about worship? Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like, she's like, uh, I know, listen, the Samaritans say that we worship on this mountain. 
And, and the Jews say that we worship in Jerusalem and you, you're bringing up all my dark secrets, but uh, I think we should have a theological debate right now. Like it doesn't make any sense. So she shifts the subject. She changes the subject, but Jesus wasn't ready to have an academic debate. Like he wasn't ready to go there because he saw a woman, he saw a woman whose life and heart was so broken and he wanted to make a worshiper. He was seeking a worshiper. Some of us love to know the facts about who God is. We love to study theology, and theology is just, it's simply the study of God. It's learning about God. We love to talk about God or his characteristics or big theological ideas or discrepancies, and yet we never connect to the heart and the mind of God. See, worship is intimacy with God. It's closeness with God. We can't just simply know the facts about him. God desires us to have passion for him. So I want to do a test this morning. Ladies, I'm going to need your help. You ready? All right. We got one. Yes. Sarah. Yes. So ladies, here, here's what's going to happen. I want you to imagine your husband, your future husband, or like the man of your dreams is writing you a letter to tell you how much he adores you. Okay. And in fact, he wrote two letters. So I'm going to read you both letters. All right. You ready? And uh, I want you to pick which one you would rather receive from your husband, future husband. Sound good? You ready? Get the idea? All right. Letter one. To the girl who I am in a relationship with, your hair is brown and your eyes are also brown like mud. You, <laughs> you stand 5'7 and you wear shirts and pants, though sometimes you wear shorts. You have thoughts and opinions and you share them often. You cook and clean and you work hard. And I've also observed that you're loving to some people. You even make my side of the bed every morning. And I've noticed that your voice sounds like a violin when you talk to me. That's cool. Well done. Signed, a guy who has noticed that you have admirable qualities. That was good. Like, that was so good. I, actually, that's a letter that I gave my wife when we were dating. So I'm kidding. That's totally not, totally didn't happen. All right, so letter two, you ready? Don't make a decision yet. I know that was really, that was really awesome and you ladies are loving what just happened right there. Um, letter two. Now, I'm going to read this one in my best boys to men voice. You guys ready? Now, what I mean by the boys to men voice, okay, so like, even though it's the end of, okay, so you got the song going, and then at the end, the guy's like, baby, I'm sorry. You know what I'm talking about? Everyone with me? Okay, so I'm about ready to, <laughs> I'm about ready to read this in the boys to men voice, but I'm going to need your help, all right? I'm going to need some encouragement. So here we go. Here we go. I'm going to do my best. <clears throat> to my love. Come on. We're going to do that again. All right, here we go. <clears throat> to my love. Yes. All right, there we go. I love the way your hair drops down over your gorgeous eyes. Like a cascading waterfall in the morning mist. Just like the rush of that waterfall, my heart pours out for you. Your mind is captivating and beautiful, an ingenious collection of wisdom and wit. You blow me away with your thoughts. And just a melody from your voice makes my soul skip like a meadow doe. Your love is better than anything of this world, and I cherish you, your lover. Come on, your lover, yes, yeah. So, uh, ladies, just hold up. Like, one or two, which would you rather get? One or two, just hold it up. All right, I'm looking for some ones because I know I'm going to get a bunch of twos. I'm seeing all twos. All right. My wife, what do you think, Holland? Two. She says two. Okay, I'm going to write that out on a card and give that to you. All right, I wrote that for you. 
See, in our relationships, we don't just want academia. Like we don't want our husband or our wife just to notice facts about us. We want them to cherish us. Theology, if treated as only book knowledge, can be a hiding place from God. It's a barrier that we put up between he and I. So just like my son in hide-and-go-seek where he sort of pulled the curtain around him, we can pull the, the curtain of truth around us. And we're hiding and we're, we're saying, like, if I just know facts about God, he won't actually deal with my heart. But he's looking down there and he's seeing, like, wait a minute, I'm seeing some white socks poking out from, from below the curtain of truth. And I see my child and I want to deal with the heart. The Father is seeking worshipers who connect with him with their head and with their spirit. And theology is actually an entry point into nearness with God. We understand who God is with our mind because we've studied the truth of Scripture and it actually sets our spirit on fire with the truth for him. This is what it means to worship in spirit and truth. When Jesus said he's seeking worshipers who worship in spirit and truth, that's exactly what he means. He wants people that are so on fire for him in the spirit. Theology becomes a fuel for worship. We don't study theology or practice religion to know facts. It actually ignites our love for God. See, worship is the response of a heart that has experienced the truth of God's presence and character. All our feelers in the room right now, you know, those, we got that big heart, right? Like, I'm a feeler. All of us are like, yes, God, like, get those smarties, right? We're like, yeah, they just, they're like deep thinkers and they never have emotion. And like, get them this morning, God. You may come in and you say, I don't need doctrine. Like, I just show up and I just love God from my heart. I just show up and I worship him in my spirit. Like, I, I, don't, I don't need to know any truth about God. Like, just let me come in and love him with a passion and with a fire. I want to go back to that letter from a husband again. Imagine I wrote a letter to my wife or a couple, a couple lines to my wife. Now, she has brown hair and brown eyes. And imagine if I wrote this to her, my beautiful and sweet darling. I love the way your blonde hair falls over your green eyes. Would she, do you think she would be flattered by that? You think she'd be like, oh yeah, like that, yep. He nailed it right on the head. No, she would look at me and she'd be like, who did you write that letter to? Who are you writing that to, right? If we're going to adore God, we must know the truth about him. God is seeking worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. It's both. Not only do we hide behind our practice of religion, this barrier of religion, we also hide behind the tradition of religion. So Sikar, which is where Jesus is meeting this woman at the well, it's actually a spiritual hotbed for the Samaritans as well as the Jews. This is where God first appeared to Abram in, in Canaan and Abram built an altar there and called upon the Lord. And then Jacob bought a piece of land right nearby there and built an altar to the Lord. And then Jacob puts the well there, which is actually the well that Jesus and the Samaritan woman are at. Joseph is buried somewhere nearby, and Joshua makes a covenant with Israel to be committed to the Lord right in that area. So this is where people have experienced God. This is, there's history there. Like, they have history, spiritual history right there. And when we have a spiritual experience, our human nature is to attach the power of the experience to the place or the style involved in the experience. Maybe it's being inside a church or it's experiencing a certain style of music. And you, you might say, that's how I experience God. Like that's how I encounter God. And the reality is no, that's where you have experienced God. But Jesus is saying, these are just cosmetics to worship. He says, you're not gonna worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. And I want you to imagine how disappointing that would have been for that woman. 
She probably saw, you know, she heard the history and she's probably seen people connect with God in that place. And he's saying it's not going to happen here or there. Imagine how devastating that would be. I mean, put yourself in her shoes. Think of the place that you've met with God. Think of the place that you've gone to deep places with God. Maybe it's in this room and you can think of the way that you felt in those moments and the aesthetics of the room. Maybe the style of music. And in that moment, we begin to hold on to the cosmetics. And Jesus says, Jesus says, you will only worship when you worship in spirit. What if Jesus said to you, you're not gonna meet with God in the church anymore? How would you feel? Like, how would that make you feel? I think I would be devastated. Like, I would be crushed by that reality. I would say, like, where will I meet God? And Jesus says, through the Holy Spirit, you'll meet with him everywhere. Everywhere. You can meet with me and be with me everywhere you go. I'll tell you, if you wanna, if you wanna take your worship and connection with God through the roof, ask the Holy Spirit to show you opportunities to worship him everywhere. You'll be driving down the road and you'll see the most mundane thing. Like maybe it's a tree. This actually happened to me. Like I saw this tree a few weeks ago where I'm like, God, like that's amazing. You built that oak. You rooted that in. God, you are amazing. And it seems like this most mundane thing. And yet God through the spirit begins to awaken worship in us. Moments of worship will begin to spring up everywhere you go. It'll overflow from your heart. But the question is, are you hiding from God behind your religion? See, Jesus is seeking worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. Lastly, the Samaritan woman, she tries to hide from people. Can you imagine being such an outcast in society that you have to go to a place at a time when nobody else will be there? It would be, be, be like me going to Walmart. Maybe I set my alarm for like 3 a.m., okay? And, uh, and I get up and I brush my teeth and I put on my best, my best like holy sweatpants, you know what I mean? And get ready to go and then I head out and I get to Walmart and I'm just, I'm like praying, please, I hope I don't run into anyone who knows all of my business. Because if they do, they're gonna ostracize me and they're gonna, I'm gonna feel like an outcast. I'm gonna feel judged. And this is what she's feeling like. She's hiding from people. But Why? Like why, truly at the root of who she is, why is she hiding from people? I think we know. Like I think we can feel it. I think we've all felt this to a certain extent. We've hidden our heart, we've hidden our lives from other people. But why, like why do we do this? It's shame. We hide because we think if somebody knows the deepest places of who we are, that they're, they're not gonna love us, that they're not gonna accept us, that if they see the depths of, of our heart, that they're gonna judge us. And so we hide. I'm sure she carried a whole bucket of shame with her to that well. As she gets close to the well, uh, it's a place that she's hoping nobody else is at. There sits Jesus waiting for her. This had to be an awkward moment. Can you imagine like she's walking up? Now, I think this is important. Introverts, I'm an introvert. Like you get this, okay? So introverts, you're going to a place and you're expecting nobody to be there and you're walking in and then you're like, whoa, like someone's there. And you're hoping you can like duck back. Have you ever done this where like you try to like duck back out and hide? You get that? Yeah, I see some nods. Introverts, raise your hand. Testify. Yes. All right, so introverts, that's like I get it. Like I'm walking into a room like, oh, there they are. I'm trying to get out. But then we lock eyes and I'm like, okay, I'm stuck. And I imagine that's what it was like for the woman at the well. She gets there and she shows up and she's getting really close and then she sees Jesus and she's like, can I turn around? She's evaluating right now in her mind. Can I turn around and go back home and come back another time? Because I don't want to go hang out with that guy. And then they lock eyes and she's like, oh, he saw me. 
This is awkward. So she continues on to the well. This is a woman who's coming to the well in the middle of the day. She's so ashamed of her past that she's trying to hide from the rest of society. It's a woman who's had five husbands and the man she's with now is a boyfriend that she's living with. She's needed the attention and the acceptance of men. She's hid under the pleasures of relationship. She's hid under the security of those men and their provision. So she shows up at the well and the first thing Jesus does is he exposes the hiding place, the deepest, most embarrassing sin in her life. And there's little doubt that this stirred up shame. She must have thought like everyone in my town knows all my junk and now this stranger who I've never met knows too. Like this guy knows too. Are you serious? Like this guy knows. This morning he knows. Like he knows the shame and the guilt that you walked in with. He sees the depths of who you are in your heart. He's watched every thought, every action. He knows every failed dream that didn't come to pass, every lustful, fulfilled passion that left you feeling empty. And you walked in this morning and you wondered, how could God possibly love me? And you walked in sitting around people who you don't know and you thought, how can they, like if they knew, I wouldn't be able to come in this place anymore. That's what you thought. You, you came in carrying a bucket of shame this morning. This is how our Samaritan woman felt. A commentator writes, all in all, this woman is a fascinating character. She is of mature age and has, not, or has a not altogether reputable past. She is frivolous, ready to talk with strangers with a tongue quick to turn grave things into jests. And yet she possesses, hidden beneath masses of unclean vanities, a conscience and a yearning for something better than she has. Are you not yearning for more this morning? Is your soul not parched for the deepest love and acceptance you've ever known? Are you not crying out from inside, I just want somebody to accept me. Like, I need somebody to accept me and love me. Finally, she asks. Finally, she goes to Jesus and she says, you speak of this living water. Can I have some? I want to invite the band to come up. I think it's such a beautiful thing that as Jesus looks at the Samaritan woman, he doesn't pile more shame on top of her guilt. Instead, he exposes her hiding. He cleans out the guilty places and he fills them in with grace, with forgiveness, with living water. And, and I, wanna, I wanna read this. This is a verse 10 from the NLT. This is what Jesus says to her. He says this, if you only knew the gift that God has for you, the word he's speaking over us this morning, church. If you only knew the gift that God has for you, if you only knew the gift that God has for you, you would stop trying to find life and meaning and purpose on your own. 
If you only knew the gift that God has for you, you wouldn't run to alcohol to numb the pain that you feel so deep in your soul. If you only knew the gift that God has for you, you wouldn't keep yourself so busy with religious activities because you feel like you have to earn something. If you only knew the gift that God has for you, you would stop trying to lift the bucket of your life and dump out water onto your soul every single day, hoping that one day you would feel fulfilled. If you only knew the gift that God has for you, you would ask him and he would fill your soul. And so when Jesus exposes her hiding and fills her with forgiveness, she receives the promise of 8-1 in Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. See, you want acceptance, and Jesus is saying, I have all of the acceptance for you right now, through the cross, right in this minute. In Christ, God doesn't see a guilty person anymore. He sees the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. It's the prayer of the non-believer. Jesus, give me this living water. And it's even the prayer of the believer. We're asking Jesus, give us more of this living water, more of the filling of the Holy Spirit, more of experiencing your love and your glory. Early on, I asked a question. When was the last time that you felt intimacy with Jesus, that you felt like his nearness so close? This morning, just ask him. Just ask him. Tell him to show you what it's like to be near to him again. And if you're sitting here thinking, this is me, like I've been hiding, been hiding from people, been hiding behind religion, I've been hiding behind all kinds of different things, and I don't want God to see my heart. I know he sees it, but I don't want to deal with it. I don't want him to deal with it. There's healing for you this morning. We've got to find the space with God. We've got to get alone with him. We've got to hear his voice. When's the last time that you took intentional time with him, that you went out for a hike or you went in your backyard or you maybe just went into a closet just to pray, worship, spend some time with him, hear his voice. Maybe he wants to speak something to you even this morning. As Jesus began to take me into my heart last year, um, I had a few guys that uh, walked through it with me and um, I remember sitting there with them and um, just feeling like God was like, we're gonna deal with this today. Please don't hide, we're gonna deal with this today. I have living water waiting for you. And so I began to walk the road of repentance. I had to tell Jesus I was so sorry for how angry I'd been at him. I had to let him take that wound and begin to just expose it, to lay it out like it was laid out on the floor. And over time, my weary heart and my body began to heal. The living water began to refresh. It began to overflow. The Holy Spirit began to restore everything in my life. And it completely, it completely unleashed my private worship with him again. It's as if he took his hand and he tapped into the the deepest places of my soul that I never even knew were there. Our repentance is a doorway to worship. Our repentance is a doorway to worship. Maybe this morning you're ready for his living water. Maybe it's been too long that you've been hiding the deep places of your life and um, you need to ask him this morning. But I'm gonna warn you, it's a very dangerous request because I've lived it. He's gonna walk you right right back through the hiding places. He's gonna take you right back through the hiding places. And you're gonna have to renounce each and every single one of them. But here's the beauty, and I love this about Jesus. 
Like the story doesn't end there. Do you get that with the Samaritan woman? The story doesn't end with just her saying like, I wish, I wish the Messiah would come. Jesus says, I am the living water. And then she receives it and he restores her and she goes off and she begins to tell everyone about how great he is. The story doesn't end in your hidden places. Those hiding places become the greatest place of worship for you. Your worship will flow right through that wound. Your worship will flow right through that hiding place. God is seeking worshipers. Church, this morning, God is seeking you. He's seeking you. He wants all of you in authenticity and fully open before him. He wants all of you as a worshiper laid before him. If we only knew the gift that God has for us, we would ask him and he would give us living water. Jesus, would you give us this living water, your Holy Spirit this morning?